All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That's still me. With me, as always, wearing a jersey from a movie that was slandered on this podcast mere days ago, Brandon Newman. What's going on, Brandon? Doing well, Mike. Even though you continue to hate on any given Sunday, your parents walking out of that film, the only movie that they've ever walked out on. I don't know how that sits with me still, but um, it's Thursday, so let's just move on. No, let's get, let's get, out, get out of this throwback Thursday mindset and think about the future, why don't we? That's right. Only a fool trips over what's behind them, Brandon, and we're all eyes forward <laughs> because today is a very special day on this podcast. In addition to getting to talk about Aaron Rodgers doing mind-altering drugs – uh, we also get to begin our divisional previews in the NFL. Took us a little while to get going, but we made it there. And as promised, Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst and host of the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny, has stopped by to help us preview the NFC West, the division where her lifelong fandom for the Seattle Seahawks is going to get put to the test this year. Because boy, oh boy, it seems like they're about to be pretty bad at football. But a lot of great mm-hmm. stuff in there. We'll take a look at you know some of the strengths and weaknesses and the changes uh, in a division that includes the defending Super Bowl champions. But uh, Brandon, we are very excited about that. But before we get to that, I had an interesting question that came to mind. Because we'll also have some golf news that we're going to get into today. 
and Max Homa, who has been one of the absolute lights on the PGA Tour. He's been a guy that's been, I think, the internet's favorite golfer. Goes on Pardon My Take a bunch, but just in general, on very, very online in a way that yes. I feel like few current professional golfers really are and engaging and like feels like one of us he feels like an internet person who's got that like diseased brain we all have i'll say a runner-up is brooks brooks kepka but he's not online as much as max is see i think brooks has a very good social media team I think Brooks has an awesome team, kind of like akin to Tom Brady, where he's got a team. Max is just out here tweeting. Max is just out here. And as an example, Max tweeted this yesterday, and it it made me – it pulled a question into my mind I wanted to ask you. He tweeted out, full transparency here, but I don't really understand – quote, have my cake and eat it too, as a saying. I understand what it means, but if I have cake, I'm eating it, especially the ice cream-based ones. Hashtag just my thoughts. And Brandon, one, that's a phrase I used to argue with Trey Wingo about all the time. Because you can absolutely, you can absolutely have your cake and eat it too. (laughs) You can absolutely, like, that's the whole basis of having cake. How can you, Brandon, hold on, all right, you know what, this, I'll ask you the question in a second, but listen, explain to me how I'm not having my cake and eating it too. If I'm having my cake, I'm giving it, I got it, it's right here, I have the cake, it's in my possession, and then I eat it. I'm having my cake and also eating it. I'm in that state in the middle where I'm both having my cake, I got it right there, and I'm eating it too. It literally happens every time you have cake. (laughs) Okay, I'm thinking maybe it's, it's before... Everyone's seated or everyone, <laughs> before everyone comes to the table or like before the birthday song is, say, is saying, like, I feel like the person whose birthday gets the cake first. So you definitely can have your cake and eat it, too, if you're not the birthday boy or girl. Is that maybe is that is that where it comes from? Maybe. No, you're not buying it. I don't I don't th- I don't think so. The keeper of all sayings, by the way, is the absolute. NFL legend and as well as my dad's former broadcast partner Bill Curry who knows more sayings and knows the origin and etymology of more sayings than anyone I know but Brandon I empathize with Max because I also had some shit that I haven't known for a while among popular sayings or words is there something you just fundamentally don't understand that people say all the time because like for me Mm. I'd say until two years ago, I had no idea what gaslighting actually meant. I would hear people really? use it all the time. I understood that it wasn't a good thing, but I really had no clue what it actually meant. And it was one of those things that got used so often by the smart people on my timeline and in my life that I just avoided asking about it like a scared kid in elementary school. And you know then now. at one point, I, yeah, okay. I do know now, but... For a long time, I didn't know. So, is there any sort of popular saying that you have? By the way, at Gojo Show on Twitter, really leave us a five question. star rating and a review. Download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five star rating and tell me the word or phrase that you do not understand, Brandon. Do you do you have one off the top? Because uh, this one know. from Joe, this one from Jody Skywalker said, "It's apples and oranges for me." Why can't we compare two different fruits? And that's actually a good point. Like, why would you compare 
except maybe to notice the blemishes one orange to another it's like well no this app i mean fuck we literally online i go to war all the time with big melon on the internet yes the people who want to argue about honeydew versus cantaloupe Ooh. that they're essentially the same fruit and neither one tastes demonstrably better or worse than the other we're literally comparing two fruits we're comparing more or less apples and oranges now, I understand they're both melons, so maybe there's some crossover, but it's not unprecedented. We compare different things all the time for likes and dislikes. Wow. Mike, to be honest with you, there's so many things that I don't get. There's so many things that, I don't, I, that are said on a regular basis that I just simply do not understand. Idioms is what we're talking about specifically for me. It's a piece of cake. I don't understand how that means it's easy. Do you understand that? Wait, do you not understand idioms or having your cake and eating it too? No, no, no. The idiom, it's a piece of cake. Oh, yeah. Like, no, I, yeah. What's inherently easy? Well, yeah. I, why couldn't that be anything? It's chips. It's a bowl of rice. <laughs> it's soup. Like what's it's easier to eat? What's, it's a cookie. what's easier to eat than soup? You get it when you're sick, when your body's at your weakest, you're draining soup to try and get your strength back because it's easy to prepare and to eat. Cake also, takes a lot longer and is harder to on your stomach when you're not sick. When you it's are harder sick. to it's harder to eat, it's harder to prepare, it's harder to get in front of you. It's one of the few utensils you need two things out of the silverware drawer to completely knife and a fork. For what? For cake. Buddy, you do not need a knife. To get a piece of cake, you no, don't need a for, knife. No, no, for a piece of cake. Okay. For a piece but, of cake. But if it's a piece of cake, okay, let me just continue because I got a couple of them right here that I, and I, the ones that I don't understand always I'm bringing up. Bite the bullet. Never understood that. I don't understand. Does that make sense to you? No, it doesn't really make sense to me. And like, you got to bite the bullet as in you have to do something that's like uncomfortable that you otherwise don't want to do. Does that mean you have to like actually take a bullet? Like is biting a bullet slang for like eating a bullet? Or is it yeah, actually like, like putting it in your teeth and putting a little marky on it? it? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, there are some that I, I do like and understand, but when it comes to gaslighting and things like that, I, there was... It's pretty much every normal word. Like, I, I don't know if you recognize this, Mike, but I, I don't have a great grasp of the en English language or a lot of these yeah, other things. Like, that sometimes is true. I, a lot of times I feel like I'm an alien trying to remember, like, what this word means to these people on this planet because I'm just trying to, like, mimic the hell out of things. And so, like, I'm, you know, trying to figure my way through shit. So I, I, I don't know quite a bit. There is actually, we need to keep a running catalog of the phrases that you've butchered on this show. The one that I remember most clearly was you combined two and said the cream rises to the crop. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. As someone who's watched a lot of Attack on Titan lately, maybe a larger governing body of people who wanted to keep your very, very conf conflicted past hidden from you use their Titan powers to erase your memory so you showed up here without knowing. That's the best Ooh. that I can do there. But okay. I will say, Brandon, I just looked up. Here's the origin of Bite the Bullet. Okay. It goes back to a, a, 17 a book from 1796 called A Classic Dictionary of the Vulgar Tongue. 
And it says, a soldier who, as the term is, sings out the halberts. It is our point of honor in some regiments among the grenadiers to never cry out or become nightingales whilst under the discipline of the cat of nine tails to avoid mm. which they chew a bullet. So it sounds like in order to like basically deal with pain instead of like biting down on something, they would bite down in a bullet. Okay, that, that makes sense. I think. Yeah, chewing a bullet seems dangerous. I don't know. Anyway, at Gojo Show on Twitter, at Mike Golick Jr., at Brother Brandon, let us know the things that you don't understand. Commiserate with us. And we'll see if we get a good list of them. Maybe we'll try and go and do some research so that you guys can avoid doing what I did, which is having to go to Google and try and sift through what is an appropriate article, what is a scholarly article, does it come from a .org, can I trust the source on this, is it just Wikipedia? I don't know. Well, here's a, a dime a dozen. Well, I mean, that's that, one's, that one seems pretty easy. Like it costs a dime for a dozen of something, which means they're comparatively low cost because they're sold in volume for such a cheap price. See, damn, you just broke this shit down quick. Like I, now I get it now, but I yeah. didn't. See, I, I, I like I like my shit simple, like cutting corners. That is that, true. That, that, that one is simple. And potentially devastating because if you try and cut a literal corner, like I've tried to accidentally do that, underestimating how far a corner juts out in my kitchen, and all of a sudden I got a dead leg and I'm on the ground writhing in pain. That shit sucks. <laughs> yes. I, I was thinking of it more of like in the thoroughness sense of like details are important, right? Like you got to can't cut corners. Yeah. Details are important in your kitchen, especially if you got granite countertops. That shit hurts. <laughs> So everyone be careful oh, and just, you know, we're all doing our best out here. And sometimes it's tough to ask questions. So bring them to us. We're gonna, we're safe space. We're not going to make fun of you for it. We're going to try and help you be better. So all the cream will rise to the crop. Speaking <laughs> of cream rising to the crop, no one rises to the top quite like our next guest. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes about the NFC West. Growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits, just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is going to benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seed's DSO-1 myself and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome and with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic research development and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust and it's great in convenience too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently just like any other routine health habit. And Seed's subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your routine
routine, again, with no refrigeration required. So trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25gojo to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25gojo. All right, excited to bring in our good friend who technically represents half the NFC West anytime she appears on a program, ESPN NFL analyst and host of the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny Podcast, as well as a member of the Rams preseason broadcast booth. Mina Kimes, kind enough to join us here. What's up, Mina? Hey, guys. Uh, Not a lot of NFL news this week, so I don't know what we're going to talk about. (laughs) No, very, very bland, normal week. No one... No one trying to wedge various uh, punishment announcements together to cover up one over the other or anything like that. I, We will get to an NFC West preview. We're excited to do this. We're happy that Mina can be our first uh, friend coming and helping us preview the NFL divisions as we have a later start to this. You can hear plenty of division preview action on the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny, but... Uh, would probably be wrong not to start with the news that came down. It'll be yesterday as of the release of this podcast, but the NFL announced that it is appealing the six-game suspension for Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson, seeking a tougher penalty after Sue Robinson's ruling on Monday. Um, and Mina, this is something that we knew and everyone said Roger Goodell and the NFL had the power and ability to do. While we've heard so much about this new punishment system with the independent arbitrator, which Sue Robinson was, Roger Goodell has the power to ultimately come in and either delegate this to someone else on behalf of the NFL or decide himself. Were you surprised at all that they ended up actually going forward and appealing? No, no, I wasn't. Um, Especially after reading Judge Robinson's decision, the report she put out. Um, Look, I I don't think the NFL wanted to do this. You know, I, I think when they created this new system, which was collectively bargained, the goal was to remove Roger Goodell from that role of judge, jury, executioner, for which he has been maligned at so many points during his career, with punishments that feel arbitrary at times, or ones that people outright disagree with. Um, But when the report came out, and it's worth reading for anyone who hasn't, 16-page report, you can find it on ESPN.com, I found it to be a fascinating document because Judge Robinson, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this, lays out the NFL's case and then largely agrees with it completely. I mean, just brief summary, in her findings section, she says that uh, she believes Judge uh, Deshaun Watson did engage in unwanted touching, that he knew it was unwanted, that the NFL met its burden of proof under a civil standard to establish sexual assault took place. She calls his behavior predatory. She says all of this and then goes with six games based on a couple of things, one of which is precedent which was under the old system that the NFL is now trying to change, if you're trying to follow the circular logic of all this. And then um, she, because she deems the behavior to be nonviolent, which is something that I disagree with. I find it to be a pretty limited interpretation of sexual violence in a document that also says she believes someone touched women with their penis. Uh, but that said, bringing us back to the NFL, so you get this document from a judge saying, yep, yeah, you did it, you proved it, we agree with you. And I think ultimately set them up to go through with an appeal. Um, Because, you know, at this point, it's really less about the facts of what happened based on that document and more about whether or not you think precedent matters here or precedent should be changed. Uh, We know that the NFL wanted a significantly larger 
suspension, indefinite. Uh, and we also know that this is an issue which Roger Goodell has been dinged with. Dinged feels not strong enough, but it's been, I think, one of the uh, black marks of his career, beginning with the Ray Rice suspension or lack thereof in 2014. And so I guess after, sorry, this is a pretty long rambling thought, when you consider all of that, when you consider the document, when you consider the powers that they have, I suspect all of that outweighed their competing interest, which is to not immediately come over the top in the new process. Well, and I, I think a huge part of this, and we were talking before the podcast was also what changed that old system was the public outcry against seeing the NFL not levy a harsh enough suspension in the Ray Rice case. And as she pointed out, Sue Robinson in this document, they didn't go back and add to the Ray Rice suspension. That was changed going forward for everyone else, and that was part of her contention. But you mentioned that precedent. She mentions that in her view of this as nonviolent sexual assault, the precedent had been three games. And so she mentions that and then says there's aggravating factors that take this over. And so if you're already going to go over, I was surprised why you wouldn't go to the maximum part of this. And that same public outcry, Mina, is, I think, a large part of the response here because you now get a league office that has a chance. And I mentioned this yesterday, and I doubled down on it. I'm not saying they are, but now the NFL and Roger Goodell have a chance to come in and look like the voice of reason and say, we're going to deal with this the way that most people who are viewing this, I think, believe it should be dealt with, which is harshly and above anything we've seen because the facts of this case and the things that, again, were proven under the burden that would needed to be uh, for a civil charge on this for proving assault were proven according to this person's review of these documents. And so I think the NFL looked around, read the room, and said, we've got a ripcord that we can pull. And if there is ever a situation to pull it, it seemed like this one. Yeah, I think um, it's really easy to envision a situation where the NFL didn't appeal. If, you know, with other cases, pardon me, like if this new system had been tested for, I don't know, something with PDs or whatever, I think it's very easy to see the NFL even be like, yeah, we wanted more, but, you know, we want this new system to work out. But I think you're right, they did read the room. I mean, it's telling, by the way, that when the NFL's decision to appeal broke today, you know, you don't ever want to use Twitter as a complete barometer, but most people seem to agree with it, right? Like, yeah. most people seem to have felt, and I've seen polls on the subject, and, uh, you know, talked to people, real human beings in this world. Most people who are familiar with Fax's case felt it was insufficient. And I think that's where you bring in another factor to all of this, which is the public, sports fans readers are aware that um, while four game, four cases, pardon me, were only presented to Judge Robinson, there's two, over two dozen lawsuits, most of which have been settled now. And the New York Times reported that Watson had over 60 appointments, which by the way, he'd said publicly that there were less over a longer period of time. So it's kind of one of those things where there's this disconnect between what was presented. And don't get me wrong, four cases is a lot. I hate it when people say only four because four is but True. a lot and then the public awareness of what is being alleged here um which is pretty like well known at this point and i think i have to think you know in reading the room that influenced how people reacted to all of this and all of the in the nfl's ultimate decision to appeal yeah so that's that's going to be something to keep an eye on because now we know the nflpa and that camp have the ability to go out here and take this to court 
should this, you know, and there's no direct timeline for when the appeal happens. I know it's supposed to be expedited and that Roger Goodell and the NFL are wanting to try and get this ruling back out here in their decision, which I'd imagine would be pretty easy. They recommended an indefinite suspension. They wanted him done the whole regular season and the postseason. So I'd imagine a group that is getting to both choose, as was uh, quoted out by Adam Schefter, an NFL spokesperson said Roger Goodell will determine who hears the appeal. So it will either be Roger Goodell or someone that Roger Goodell in the NFL picks, which means I think this will move fast. And then from there, the complicating factor will be what does it look like if the NFLPA decides to make this a protracted legal battle and the resulting things that might come from that. So not overly surprised at the way that this went down, but Deshaun Watson is still as we went out and had all of the discomfort of people who out loud in the world decided to go and cheer on Deshaun Watson at training camp and talk about how they had his back in ways that I hope one day they're forced to defend to their children or loved ones because I don't know how you could do it. Uh, We had all that as the backdrop that'll kind of continue to be around here until this is resolved one way or another for the Browns and Deshaun Watson. Can we have a little time to talk about the the Twitter trolls, shells, these, these men I, I'm putting lumping them in as men. Unfortunately, maybe that's unfair. But the fact that they didn't read the 16-page legal document, but the only thing they need to read is not criminally charged. Why? Why does that? Why does that mean so much to the casual fan? To especially to these Browns fans that are lining up to get autographs signed by Deshaun Watson. I think it's an outcome in search of a process if that makes sense or it's a rather a feeling in search of a justification Mm. um look the fact that he was criminally charged it does matter it's you know we respect the legal system insofar as he is not in prison um he was not sent to prison and clearly that's why the browns decided to give him the most guaranteed money ever um but we also know a lot more about the legal system and sexual assault cases um we meaning like the public or whatever but you know there's a lot of people out there who just don't want to grapple with that because and this is especially true i think of very of of fans of the team who are doing what you said brandon um it kind of gave them the green light to feel good about the very talented football player they have a green light that they wanted probably i don't Mm -hmm. think most of these people if he had been well if he had been charged he would be the quarterback but um you know, I think there's nothing that would convince some of these people, more women, a longer report, whatever. Um, I think sometimes, you know, when you when you want something to be true or you want to feel okay about rooting for someone, you'll take what is available to you. Um, and it's, you know, it's especially true of sports fandom. We see this time and time and again, the way we fans, people justify our decisions um, because ultimately what happens is performance on the field in this case it trumps everything else and ultimately it's just kind of looking for ways to feel good about that yeah i I think that's perfectly said there's a painfully low bar for what most people that are fans of a particular sports team will need to hear in order to feel comfortable rooting for the problematic elements of a team that they want to see win for a number of reasons that are a part of a much larger conversation around the psyche of sports fans. So 
we're still not done with this thing. Uh, it, it's going to continue to be a process, and we'll continue to keep everyone updated as that continues to happen. So the uh, no easy transition portion of talking about this in an audio or television medium, but here we are. And we brought Mina Kimes here because we wanted to also talk about the NFC West heading into this year. And this is the division that's got the defending Super Bowl champions in it, a team that, like we said, you've covered in the preseason and been around a bunch. So, Mina, I, I guess just starting there and looking back on what we saw from last season in this conference here, you had the Rams, obviously, or excuse me, the division, had the Rams win the division, the Cardinals and the 49ers both make the playoffs, and the Seahawks with their first losing season in the Russell Wilson era, so to speak. So I, I let's start with the Rams. I want to start on the, the positive note with this one and work from you know the team that won the Super Bowl last year on down. Seeing what's gone on with them already this offseason, a lot of moves made, a lot of pivotal pieces off that Super Bowl roster, either getting paid or victims of the, you know, fuck them picks mentality, all, all, all of that leading us to, you know, facing this new year. From what you've seen so far uh, this offseason, being around the team in training camp here, how realistic is a return trip to the Super Bowl look like for the Rams in 2022? Sorry, I've been smiling this whole time because ever since you said there's no easy transition, I imagined you as a sports, like a radio shock jock <laughs> trying to do a transition from a terrible quarterback situation to a very good one with the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> from a form of societal division to a different kind of division, one that you're very familiar with. Um, See, you sorry. just did to me what I did to you on the Enter Sandman thing right there. The division one was a work of art there, Mina. I know, listen. Thank you. You come you come from a much higher place in the world of content, but if you ever wanted to dip a toe in the shock jock waters, you got the chops. All right, all right, folks. Now that we've rained on your parade, to a different kind of parade. <laughs> the Rams championship one. Um yeah, so I was just there. Um Ooh. Yeah, I was just at camp. Yeah, real life camp visit, you know, got a you know, vibe check, kind of seeing what um what things were like with the defending champs and things are good. That I would say the the thing that jumped out to me the most in my um short visit, I just went out for one day, uh, was seeing Alan Robinson in the red zone, uh, just catching, unfortunately there were some fades in the mix, but uh, <laughs> catching passes from Matthew Stafford. Um, I tweeted this, but the, the Rams, despite being like a super high powered offense, who were like actually not great in the red zone last year, enter Alan Robinson, who despite coming off of a very terrible year in Chicago, seems to be doing the Rams thing where he's rejuvenated by being around very good players in a very good team. Um, I think this offense is going to be very, very good uh, along those lines. I would say the only concerns I have on that end would be there is some turnover on the offensive line. Andrew Whitworth, one of the best left tackles in NFL history, retired. Joe Nopum, who's taking his place, does have a ton of game experience, has played well for them, so much so, well, so, much so that they gave him a big extension. But there's uncertainty elsewhere. I would say at right guard, notably, Austin Corbett's gone. They drafted a kid from Wisconsin, Logan Bruss. If he wins the starting job, this will be an offensive line with three linemen from Wisconsin. Uh, little lineman fun fact for you. Know my audience. Um, I did a Wisconsin accent there. Know my audience. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm largely not too worried. I would say defense is the one where you got to watch with this team. Um, so Darius Williams, when the starting cornerback's gone, and Von Miller's gone. To anyone who says the cap isn't real, good players do leave championship teams when you have a top-heavy roster. When you have a top of roster, you start counting on your rookies and guys on rookie contracts to produce. And I think that's what 
is going to largely de- determine the success of this defense, whether or not outside the two future Hall of Famers and Andrew Donald and Jalen Ramsey, they can find more producers elsewhere at cornerback, edge rusher, and notably, I would say those two positions. Well, specifically staying on the defense, your friend that came over with you from the Seattle Seahawks, what are you expecting out of Bobby Wagner this season? Oh, man. Um, I think I, I, I think he's going to be excellent, and I really love slotting him in next to Ernest Jones, who was a third-round draft pick last year and really, I'm sure you guys remember, flashed down the stretch for Los Angeles, mm-hmm. um, notably in the Super Bowl. But really in that playoff run, I thought Raheem Morris did an excellent job deploying him as a blitzer, super sound tackler, very good in run defense. And now he gets to play next to another future Hall of Famer in Bobby Wagner. And it's interesting, guys, because linebacker has been an issue with this team for a few years now. It's kind of been the one weakness on that defense and one that teams go after. But I think um, that's now an area of strength, and it's not going to be somewhere where a team like the San Francisco 49ers, you know, Kyle Shanahan with the uh, microscope looking at those linebackers is one of my favorite memes on Twitter. Um, Well, they're going to have to be direct. He's going to have to take that microscope and move it to the cornerbacks instead. Ooh. Well, and especially when you're not maybe going to be able to count on the same level of ferocity up front now that Von Miller is gone. Because again, that was largely about like clutch time performance came over during the middle of the season, but it was four sacks in four games at some of the most important times during that postseason run where he can supercharge you. Because Leonard Floyd had, what, nine and a half sacks last year. We know Aaron Donald's the point of the spear, Mina. So I I guess that always a direct effect on secondary and the way that that could potentially pop up here. Like, is there a, a even committee that helps replace what they had behind Von Miller? What are they looking at opposite Leonard Floyd? Yeah, so Justin Hollins, who was a fifth-round pick out of Oregon 2019 and has gotten some snaps, is penciled in as a likely starter opposite Leonard Floyd. Um, I think you're also looking at guys like I don't know, Chris Garrett, who was um, an undraft, or maybe seventh-round, oh, I should know this, draft pick out of uh, Concordia St. Minneapolis or something. I don't know. Look it up and then look up his stats because he had something like 45 sacks, pardon me, in that um, uh, obviously very small school uh, conference. Um, And, you know, I think this is what happens. Again, to go back to the cap isn't real, top-heavy roster, you need guys like Justin Hollins or Chris Garrett to step up and take those roles. Oh, another player I I should... I would be remiss to mention, not from a small school, is Terrell Lewis from Alabama, who has been really banged up over the course of his career, but does have that pedigree and I think talent. Um, and I know that they really want to see if he can get on the field. Terrell Lewis was someone I remember talking to folks like Cole Kublick and people that cover the SEC that said, were it not for injury, talent-wise, he's on par with some of the freaks that we've seen right now. I mean, we're going to spend a whole year talking about a great Alabama pass rushing prospect and Will Anderson, and that's the kind of talent that's certainly there. So, Mina, on the other side, you mentioned Allen Robinson. I think that's going to be a huge focus. Odell Beckham Jr., another guy that stepped up and gave them big-time production, was a guy that was dominating the Super Bowl before injury in that role opposite Cooper Cup here. What about running back for them? Cam Akers coming back now a year fully removed from that Achilles injury here. That seems like maybe one of the deeper running back rooms we'll see top to bottom in the NFL, especially when you throw in Kyron Williams, who is a mid-round guy who's going to be able to kind of do spot duty now because of most of that talent there. Yeah, you know, 
a lot of times with these playoff teams, I think when you look at players that they've drafted, you can draw them directly to where were they injured last year because I think of, for example, we're not just drafted, but sign out of the Bucks grabbing a bunch of wide receivers. Not again, you know, that kind of sentiment. And I think that might be true with the Rams drafting Kyron Williams because they were so banged up at the running back position uh, points during last season, not just Cam Akers, but Gerald Henderson out of Memphis, who has battled injuries over the course of his career. Um, so I do think that was a pretty deliberate move to shore up their depth there. Normally, I would not expect to see Williams or a rookie running back with that do ahead of him anytime soon, but he's very good in pass protection. Um, I think they believe the best pass protecting back in the draft and don't think that's a outside consensus opinion. So I think he has a good chance of seeing the field earlier than other rookies uh, on a very, very talented roster. Yeah, no bias whatsoever coming from this podcast relative to Kyron Williams at all. So, Mina, with all that being said, they won the division last year. Are they, the? I mean, the easy consensus winner for the division, at least the pick preseason for you again this year? I think they are, and I've got them second in the NFC behind the Bucks, first in their division. If I were to pick a team to challenge them, I would go with San Francisco, not to set you up with another segue here. Um, but uh, I do think it's pretty hard to argue against the Rams right now. All right. Well, let's take Mina's clever segue. By the way, classes on segues available over at the Mina Kime <laughs> Show featuring Lenny, and I will be attending. Good Master Lord. class. It's unreal. Classes on segues. Now I'm picturing you rolling behind <laughs> me, <laughs> watching those little iPads, be- you know. Which would be super on brand for me as I age into more and more dad behavior. I feel like modern, like especially dads of like our age, the segue is sort of this bit of nostalgia. You know, when you see families like on Segway tours, like in cities, oh, do yeah. they still do those anymore? I wonder. I I feel like in America, you don't see them so much as overseas. I went on a Segway tour in New Orleans one time. I forget where and why I was on that Segway tour or what I was down there for. What? Oh no! It was it was NBA All Star Weekend. Um, I went with my family on a Segway tour because my dad was in the NBA All Star game where he airballed a layup. And while we were on that tour, <laughs> yeah, it was it's bad. It's the only when you search the Twitter search bar for gifts and you search my dad's name, it is the only gif of him no. that comes up is him airballing a free throw or airballing Amazing. a layup. Really? Excuse me. Yes. Wow. Yeah, dad was a dad was a college wrestler. Got no hoops in him and a bunch of bad knees. So. Mm. But when we were on that Segway trip, we were on like New Orleans streets are famously like a little bit uneven and cracked in a lot of parts. It's kind of a tough area to have consistent payment. And some guy on a turn absolutely ate shit (laughs) off his Segway in the middle of the road while we were trying to turn across the street. So be safe on this, man. I have a photo of myself in Rome, I think, on vacation. And my husband, I I believe this up deliberately i'm standing and behind me is a as a segue tour but they're sort of arranged triangle behind me so that it looks like the imperial army or something flying v <laughs> so funny it's the most humans will ever look like schools of sh- is on segue tours oh my gosh that's great i found oh. out that was uh wozniak was an early adopter of the segway he had like the first two he and his wife so really? now, I'm, now i'm coming back like I, I feel like my guy, Kevin James, did a disservice to it with Paul Blart, Mall Cop. And uh, I think, you know, hey, Segways yeah. are back. I don't, know, I don't know if that's a disservice to it. I think that's right where Segways belong <laughs> and are mostly seen in the wild now is for use in Mall Cops. <sighs> so, wow. all right. From Segways to the Segway queen herself, Mina Kimes brought up the 49ers. 
And let's go there because we're going to deep the teams that have quarterbacks yeah. before we get to the Seahawks and what they're doing. The 49ers have gone all in on uh, Trey Lance this offseason. We're still waiting to find out what is that exactly is going to happen with Jimmy Garoppolo and that injured shoulder that really kind of altered the offseason plan for them. That March surgery really affected the market for him. But, Mina, I want to start there before we get to the rest of this roster that has other big losses, like in Tomlinson on the offensive line, DJ Jones on defense, Jaquiski Tart, but at the quarterback spot, making that transition for a team that we know had the Super Bowl run a couple of years ago, made the playoffs last year, and managed to have a couple of fun upsets. What is a realistic expect expectation for Trey Lance going into this season? Because I feel like we actually haven't spent a lot of time on the national level overrun with headlines about him, which to me feels like a good thing. It does. And the reports out of camp are good. I think I've seen a couple of uh, scintillating clips, <laughs> you know, which is always um, very, very telling of uh, what an NFL quarterback is going to play like. Um <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, this is I, I I'm like so excited excited to watch the San Francisco 49ers because this is one of the great mysteries of this season, and it is a mystery because Trey Lance has not only played very little football at the professional level, level he's played very little football. Period. Um, you know, had that COVID season at North Dakota State, um, and then, well, he had that one game right, uh, and then before that, I want to say he's I think he's completed the fewest passes ever, maybe of a guy drafted as high as he is i just made that up but it feels right oh yeah that's um, i think he only had something like in like it, it was under 400 passing attempts in college yeah. which is insane for modern college football to begin with and shows you and reminds you that part of the appeal here was north dakota state did run a very run heavy pa uh, play action pass predicated offense when he was in college i got the numbers here 71 <laughs> passes last season and 318 while he was at north dakota state wow Um, I watched those 71, you said 71, last, yes. a few weeks ago when I previewed the division, so I watched, uh, he had two starts, well he had, he filled in for Seattle, but everyone kind of threw that out, uh, when Jimmy Garoppolo was out, and then he, uh, started against Arizona and Houston, Arizona start was pretty disastrous, I would say, the Houston start was up and down, but in the second half in particular, I think he flashed a lot of the traits that made him so tantalizing, um, the mobility, obviously, um, the ability to throw off platform, and then just the absurd arm strength. Uh, he makes the throw in that game. It's a throwback to Debo Samuel, who we'll talked about in a moment. That I don't. I, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo just never made that throw. I'm sorry, you know. And and, and that I think is what makes this makes this so fascinating because he is about as diametrically opposed to a quarterback to Jimmy Garoppolo as any quarterback could be. Um, he uses parts of the field that Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't. He, he threw for more, I think he, so obviously ultimate small sample size, he averaged more air yards per attempt in that one game than Jimmy Garoppolo has in like four years. Damn. Um, he obviously brings an element of mobility that Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't. But he also struggles in areas where Jimmy Garoppolo was good, particularly in that offense. I would say um, accuracy and timing over the middle of the field, which is sort of the hallmark of the Jimmy Garoppolo experience, coupled with some very untimely interceptions. Um, oh, I, so, thought, I thought you were going to say untimely dates. Um, <laughs> shout out to, uh, I forget her name. Um, yeah, yeah, me too. I do too. Everyone uh, knows who you're talking about. By the about. way, there's a character on Love Island, a character, a human being on Love Island, <laughs> identical to Jimmy Garoppolo. I want you both while I'm talking to search Davide, D-A-V-I-D-E, Love Island. It's so distracting when you watch. Okay. So 
I'm sure there's a big section of your audience that watches Love Island. You know, it's the only. Oh, we're gonna yeah. start now. Yeah, it's like if you yeah, put, right? if you gave Jimmy Garoppolo a little more Jersey Shore. There's a side profile shot of this guy though that is identical to Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like beefier, but yeah, it's like if you Ita- did he's like, Italian. If, I was gonna say, was, is he too Italian? He, he's well, he's more Italian. This guy is. This is Jimmy Garoppolo Italian. combined with like the Giga Chad meme. <laughs> Who becomes this guy? Um. So. It. You know, I, I think it's it's an, it's a fascinating experiment. I think it's going to be interesting to see what Kyle Shannon puts together. Um, you know, a lot of I expect to see a lot of the same stuff we saw with RG three in twenty twelve. Uh, Trey Lance in the pistol, a lot of option football, obviously. And I think as far as expectations go, I think the lows will be lower and the highs will be higher. Uh, I don't know if that's a cop out, but I think that's what it's going to look like. The reason I'm so high on this team is because their defense, which I think is a top five defense in the NFL, so. With those low lows and high highs, I think that defense gives them a floor that if they can make it into the playoffs and Trey Lance develops over the course of the season, they could be terrifying. Yeah, the pillars on that defense to build around are insane, especially kind of down the spine of that defense there. I think, and you're right about everything there, what what do you think the ceiling is then on this team, depending on that Trey Lance production? Like, if the floor... If this is, and I heard you on uh, on your podcast call them one of the highest variance teams in the NFL, what is the ceiling then? I think they're Super Bowl contenders. I really do. Um, I think it's a Super Bowl defense. You know, you talk the spine, the pass rush is still there. They have this ability to turn every defensive lineman into like TJ, JJ Watt. It's insane. insane. They added Traverius Ward, which is a pickup I love, to a very weak cornerback group, room, pardon me, last year. Um, and then they kept D'Amico Ryan, who I think is one of the best defense in football already offensively you know i think what i love about the niners is similarly to baltimore they have the potential to zig where the rest of the nfl is zagging they already do on offense you know even with garoppolo it's a very unique offense it's obviously has a very unique run game and i think now you throw in this quarterback who's capable of these things it's not unreasonable at all in my mind to think the ceiling is super bowl um but, you know, I don't yeah. think it's the most likely outcome, but unlike some other teams, I think they, it is possible. No, and you're right, because I think with with the focus on the change at quarterback, we still look around, and you mentioned Debo Samuel gets his contract, so that's all taken care of. George Kittle is one of the best, if not the best, tight ends in the NFL on a consistent basis. If you get Brandon Ayuk continuing to go, that running back room that's gone three, or I think, what, five straight years now with a different leading rusher every year so. It, it, it's been consistent production. Losing Alex Mack in the middle of that as well—that's a problem. That's certainly. A problem. So the interior of the offensive line is the biggest weakness on this team right now. By the way, it, it is, and I think one of the things that I would say is an advantage of this system is a team that wants to be grounded in the run and cut outside zone stuff is always by design going to help mitigate some of the difficulties of what's going on in the middle. Doesn't change the fact that. Having a veteran center underneath a you know guy playing his first meaningful football in the NFL at quarterback is a huge help as you're going to be breaking in new along there. Aaron Banks trying to replace Lakin Tomlinson, their uh, I think third round pick from the year before out of Notre Dame. So all all of those very real concerns. But again, all that talent, Nick Bosa when healthy, terrifying force of nature. It, it is disturbing, Brandon. Uh, not to jump straight off of uh, Trey Lance just yet, but. Is there a chance with so few snaps at quarterback that we get a 
that Dak Prescott, uh, Baker Mayfield first year, like that, that we haven't seen it before. So we don't necessarily know how to scheme for it. Like uh, I imagine just because I want to say his name, Ray Ray McLeod, uh, being able to benefit off of like just the unknown with Trey Lance. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that coupled with Kyle Shanahan, right, who's mm. one of the most creative play designers in the NFL, um, and then coupled with a, a receiver in Debo Samuel, who's an absolute unicorn, although his usage might evolve this year. Um, yeah, 100%. I think, but setting aside game planning, just the physical tools are very hard to game plan, to plan for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he is a really special runner. Um, he is so strong. You know, he, I, I think that's something that, uh, people are going to realize very quickly if they don't already. Um, you know, he he you can he runs power. <laughs> like he is yes. tough between those tackles. Damn. And and he also has breakaway speed. And I think that those tools coupled with the arm strength, it's just a lot. Um now again, struggles with accuracy at times, holds on to the football a very long time. So like I said, it's it's not perfect or hasn't been perfect. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be really challenging for defenses, especially um, you know, I would say some of the other defenses in this division. I, I would say too, you talked about the differences in running styles. Like it is worth pointing out, reminding people like this is going to be a lot closer to Cam Newton than it would be like a Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, who wants to live and hurt you on the edges. Like this guy is a legitimate between the tackles ball carrier. So I, I tend to agree on the ceiling for this team. And I, I think, again, if we're going to continue to rank them, like the order we've gone in is probably the order I would have these teams in so far through going through this division, which unfortunately means that we don't get to talk about the Seahawks just yet, Mina. So let's... Uh... How dare you. Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIT. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. Let's <laughs> the Seahawks slander mercy. Um, the Cardinals have had one of the more bizarre off seasons and obviously like putting off to the side at the beginning, like incredibly tragic Jeff Gladney passing away very unfortunately and tragically in a car accident at the age of 25, uh, who they thought would come over and be legitimate help to them like that just a legitimately devastating thing for a team to have to deal with over the course of the season. So you certainly feel for them on that front. So putting that in its own separate category of just otherworldly difficult, this team's in a really strange spot, Mina, because the last three years, all they've done is trend up. And all we've seen is Kyler Murray continue to improve statistically. This team makes the playoffs last year and gets bounced early. And now we go through an offseason where they re-signed their head coach, 
Cliff Kingsbury, their GM Steve Keim, and their star quarterback in Kyler Murray, and somehow the situation seems worse than ever. So, despite everything we just went through with the Kyler Murray study clause drama in the contract for their new two hundred and thirty million or two hundred and sixty million dollar was it that right? Two hundred thirty. Yeah, two hundred thirty million dollar quarterback. Is this team primed to keep improving this year, or was all of that combined with a DeAndre Hopkins six-game PED suspension and the loss of Chandler Jones enough to kind of derail this thing? I don't know if you heard, but I had a really problematic take about the um, suspension, which is that a tiny part of Cliff Kingsbury is happy because it means they'll play better in the second half of the season. Ooh, I mean, listen, yes. not, not wrong because they've got to fight against, and I have enjoyed watching the internet go and do this thing where they figured out that between the release date of Call of Duty and when oh, I double, that. And double XP weekends come out in Call of Duty, Kyler Murray's production cert drops off, so maybe this is to counteract that. I know, this has become like the meme team. Um, <laughs> they're chaotic, man. This is a chaotic football team uh, for all the reasons you just described, for all the bad vibes coming off of how their season ended, mm. for all of the uncertainty as to what this offense is going to look like without Hopkins, with Hollywood Brown, assuming he doesn't get uh, punished at all. For, yeah, I, I don't think he will. Probably it was for speeding, Hollywood, right? Hollywood Brown arrested for, I believe it was criminal speeding, which has a lot more to do with, you know, basically the area that you were speeding okay. in or the amount over the speed limit you were driving. It was at about seven o'clock in the morning local mm -hmm. in Arizona. So again, you know, we'll wait and hear more about that as that arrest just happened on Wednesday of this week. But uh, yeah, still waiting to hear on that, but assuming he he is on the field regardless. So offensively, I'm, I'll start here. I'm a big fan of Kyler Murray's game. And I think the slander has gotten a little bit out of control. Um, last year, before he got hurt, he was playing at an extraordinarily high level. Everything he was doing was improving. His intermediate accuracy was up, which was something I was kind of curious about after the first part of his career. Just one of the most beautiful deep ball throwers in the NFL, good decision-making. And then he had that injury, and they lose DeAndre Hopkins. And I think you actually have to kind of I, – I know he fell off uh, in the previous season as well, but I do think he gets escapes some of the blame there. But this is going to be a really challenging situation. I don't think this is a very good offensive line. Um, I think I love DeAndre Hopkins as a one and Marquise Hollywood Brown as a two, but Hollywood Brown as a one with a pretty dubious group of pass catchers behind him um, is tricky for uh, offensive coordinator who has not really made adjustments when Hopkins has been out or just period, frankly. Um, they did draft Trey McBride, tight end, second round this year. He's on my dynasty team, so I'm really hoping they use him a lot. Um, who I think is a really interesting kind of joker type. I mean, they, they can really use him a lot of different ways. So I'll be curious to see if between him and Zach Ertz, they go more 12 personnel. Um, shoot, they could even flex him outside and have him be the X. I think he has that capability. Um, but Cliff has to do that. Like, he has to find ways to make... I say, I guess to get through this difficult patch um, and not just say, hey, Kyler, go out and make stuff happen. I mean, I, I think yeah. Oh, I, I, the holes for me are on the defense with Chandler Jones yeah. not being there anymore. I think that's one of those things we like to, I say we casual fans can forget about Chandler Jones until he's racking up sacks uh, on a consistent basis halfway through the season. But 
the Cardinals need someone like that on a daily basis. And also on the other side of the ball from ground and pound standpoint, I thought Chase Edmonds was a very key piece of their offense in, in general and, and helped Kyler Murray out tremendously being able to just dump it off and continue to get receiving yards in the flats. So uh, what, what, what saving grace does that defense have? They didn't, they didn't yeah. replace someone the way they like, I guess you can say Rondo Moore or, uh, uh, somebody can take that Christian Kirk role, and obviously Christian Kirk underperformed while he was there. But I don't see a replacement for the defense side, the the, the key player for Chandler Jones. Yeah, I think this defense um, has a lot of holes. One of which is absolutely, I would say, edge rush is first and foremost the issue. Without Chandler Jones, I think probably Marcus Golden is the best. Yeah, that's right. But he's he's like an underrated edge rusher. You want him to be like your underrated guy, not your mm -hmm. star. Um, JJ Watt was actually quietly playing really well despite not racking up a lot of sacks. He was getting double teamed a ton before he got hurt. Now he's going to get double teamed a ton again. And then behind them, you know, they still haven't really figured out what to do with Isaiah Simmons. There's talk about, I think, playing him more at the nickel, I saw, which, great. Just haven't played one position, man. I mean, like, whatever. It's been yeah. pretty bleak on that front. I mean, he barely played in the wild card game, as did Damon Collins, which is why the real problem is Steve Kahn, by the way, but putting a pin in that. Um, and then, yeah, it's a, it's a not one of the stronger cornerback groups in the league either, as much as I love my guy Byron Murphy out of Washington, and Buda Baker is very good at safety, but it's just not a really strong unit. I think they outperformed a little bit last year, and you saw when they lost Watt, forget Hopkins, that's their performance just completely fell off uh, later in the season. And I would say that it, they're going to be pretty challenged to keep up with you know teams like the Rams on offense. Yeah, I always called them the island of misfit toys on defense because outside of Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt, it seemed like a lot of guys that would have been tweeners in the old NFL that Vance Joseph kind of took in a, a scheme that wanted to, especially on third down, bust out a bunch of wild exotics. Like, the notion of treating Isaiah Simmons like a linebacker was always sort of a farce to me. And now, I mean... Just looking at that team and who you let go on, who you let go on that side. Jordan Hicks also leaves from that group there, so you're really kind of devoid of experience in the middle of that defense, and you're have largely been asking these guys to play out of position if there ever was one. Like I, I, I don't know. I'm with you. I'm rooting for the Isaiah Simmons experiment to work at that. If it is that, I think that's probably the best meld and use of his talents. He's too much of an athletic phenom to waste trying to put him down near the box on a consistent basis. But, I mean, Zayvon Collins is probably the guy they need to step up the most on this defense for this 2022 season. Would that be safe to say in the middle there just because there is that void left behind? Well, and he's one who I also think could be pretty useful as a pass rusher as well. Yes. Um, I think we were laughing when you watched Tulsa because <laughs> he was yes. just so much bigger than everyone else on the field. But he does have that physicality, that ability as a blitzer, I think, that they can really tap into at times as long as they're not putting too much on his plate. But, yeah, it's – it's they, I mean, they need more from both first-rounders at this point. Um, yeah, it, I, I would say it's it's hard to see – them finishing as one of the better defenses in the NFL, but if they can keep things afloat at least until Hopkins comes back, I think at that point the offense can be decent. Yeah, I one I going back to the Kyler thing, I do think it is kind of more of a flex than he was given credit for or gave credit to himself that if he was purportedly not studying this much and still balling this hard, 
he said that's disrespectful to him. Like, no, 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 that's disrespectful to the people you're playing against if you go out and do that, <laughs> which you should just lean into and be the bad guy. Like, yes, I don't have to watch this shit, and I'm still better than most of you would be an incredible spin. He's got to do a Call of Duty commercial. At this point, yes. that is the only way to take control of this narrative. Kyler, clearly your agent has not done a great job. Yeah. I... Call me. I don't know. He might have unfollowed me on Twitter after I clapped back at the Cardinals. Yeah, team. Mina, have you? Have you, we also probably to need look. to. We also need to spend time with that. The I was half expecting when the Arizona Cardinals Twitter account tweeted out Kyler Murray's impromptu press conference refuting a clause that his team had put in there. I the only thing I expected after that was all right. If they're making these kind of bad decisions, I thought once again the sports no. greatest feud between Mina Kimes and the Cardinals Twitter account would somehow be revived because they'd be dumb enough. Why do they keep trying you like this, Mina? I don't know. It's not a feud if one side is always poking the other. I just want to say that. Bullying. That's just. Well, I would. I wouldn't even say that. It's not a feud if one side is constantly the hammer and the other side's the nail. Because oh, I don't think like, the Cardinals have ever had a good day online going up against you. Like Serena Sharapova kind of thing. Where, you yeah. Know, like, like, you're really calling this a lot, guys. I don't know. And I actually, I, I was really like not wanting to clap back, and then I couldn't resist. And I regretted it because I like I, I'm like more pro Kyler than most people, but and I wasn't trying to make fun of him. I was trying to make fun of Arizona, and it's like you know sometimes people don't appreciate my art. You know, it's like it's, there's layers to the comedy, and you know whatever it's fun. Usually, usually artists aren't appreciated in their time. So hopefully one day Mina Kimes tweets to the Cardinals will be hanging in the Louvre, and we can explain to another generation what went on here. Has Kyler ever walked back calling you an op on Twitter? Because that was also the first instance where I learned what an op was, was through Jesus Kyler Murray Christ. saying that about you online. Well, and it's, a, yeah, for those who don't know, it's a gaming thing, which... It's also short for opposition. Anyone can be an op that's against your general uh, agenda. Sure it's a gaming thing. Pretty yeah. sure it was a gaming I mean, thing. Considering the source, it's probably a gaming thing. Like... Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll let you I tried to I tried to learn some gaming lingo to talk about Kyler Murray, like um, Ooh, when they when they walked when they walked back the um, the contract clause. I, I I was like, did he just beat the final boss? But it wasn't it wasn't good. It's, <laughs> not, it's, not, it's not my language. <laughs> I know, but I am excited to use S tier to describe his good performances this year, which I do know is a gaming term. I didn't you know what. I didn't know that was. I've seen it on all of the tiers that come out. Had no idea that was a gaming term. So, what's the lowest tier? I'm not sure. Do you Brandon, know? You gotta ask Kyler. S tier. What's like a gaming term for being bad? Like an insult. I like mean, most of S tier. Mo most of the insults in gaming are things that would get you banned or probably kicked off your professional sports. Like a noob. A noob. Oh yeah, a noob, a noob would probably be yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's pr but, that's probably it. I guess I, I guess that would be the other like form of like low game slander. Definitely just showing my age by just going blank on this. Don't couldn't tell you. Yeah, no, rookie I level rookie mode. Was that? <laughs> can we go back to the matting setting settings? God, we sound like boomers right now. It is unbelievable. I'm gonna mercifully back us away from this one here. Kyler Mean is not an op. We just want what's best for you, which is why we as the media and the general football watching public got that contract clause removed for you. Thank us for our service. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Bullying works.
<laughs> Internet bullying actually good in this case. Just mm. this research S stands for superb or super. So oh. is there a scale? Are you looking at a scale? I I, I, it, I knew S tier was the best one. I to be honest with you, I googled opposite of S tier, and this is what popped up. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this Real is kind of hard crack, crack research. research staff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Real Shout out helping us out. All right. Shout well, speaking of the opposite of S tier, do you want to talk about the Seahawks? Yeah, buddy. Uh, I was no. I was really going to no easy transition this one because man, oh man, <laughs> this is probably going to be a tough one here. So. Seattle now becomes the have-nots. Uh, Russell Wilson has taking his cringy. By the way, did you get any solace in that in watching the cringy photo day Russell Wilson shoots and what has now become one of the most like memeable opens for anyone? Did you take any solace in that? That at the very least, now while your quarterback may no longer be a future Hall of Famer, he's at least not doing that. I did thank you <laughs> i i really liked um the clip that circulated of keenan allen making fun of it this week just yes. saying bolt fam let's rise <laughs> keenan allen he's loki one of the funniest players in the nfl by the way um yeah um you know it's a transition year it's a transition year um and you know I'm, i've accepted that into my heart um well, i actually I'm yeah sorry well, no, I was going to say, with with that in mind, like, are you happy they've sort of embraced that? Because for a while, you guys were linked to Baker Mayfield. There was all these other potential moves out there. Even Jimmy Garoppolo, which I never thought was fully realistic within the division. Mm -hmm. But are, are you glad they've kind of accepted their fate as a transition team this year? You know, it's a really interesting test of, like, sports fandom and what we want out of fandom generally. Because, like, um, if I take myself out of it, it's the right move to not be mediocre, you know? Yeah. I, I could look at this objectively and say, okay, they didn't go after one of the mid quarterbacks available, you know, maybe in the draft, although I, I still think they should have taken a flyer on someone because why not? Um, and they recognize that they're not going to be that great this year. So they drafted a couple of, you know, some exciting rookies and they have a ton of cap space next year, by the way. I think they're only second behind. I know the Bears, maybe one other team. But, you know, on the other hand, like, you can say that intellectually, but then also, like, you want to watch fun football. And mm. it's hard to think it's going to be fun. I think defensively, there's going to be some interesting thing ha things happening with the new coaching staff, and I'm excited to watch that. But, you know, as much as I do, um, I was about to say, like, you know, I don't know why I was about to say that. <laughs> I was about to defend Geno's in his honor for some reason. <laughs> uh <laughs> Ben Gino. Um, Number one Gino stand, Mina Kimes. He's fine, I actually think, as long as he is not being pressured in any way. Yes. Um, I was gonna say, I was like, he kind of deserves a little bit more grace. I think I think the grace yeah. that we give him is not talking about him. He he was the only quarterback in the fifth talking about tiers. He was the only tier five quarterback in Mike Sando's quarterback ratings for the athletic this year. Was Drew Locke above him or below he, him? Drew Locke was above him, which I was. So I don't agree by. with that. I don't agree yeah. with that. Yeah, having watched them both, I actually disagree. But um, it's not gonna. It's gonna be rough on offense. You know, <coughs> pardon me. And um, you know, I think being emotionally prepared for that uh has made this a little bit easier. Was uh, w with that in mind, because you're right on offense, like 
The offensive line has always been a question. Dwayne Brown is also one of the folks on the way out. Ethan Pochich on the middle of that offensive line. Chris Carson in that backfield, which has plenty of depth, but Chris Carson forced to retire early because of the neck injuries. And obviously, really feel sorry for him. You hope he can live the rest of his life in a way that's enjoyable for him because that was a hard-nosed, badass mm. motherfucker back there. So Yeah, so glad he, he got uh, that second contract, by the way. Yes, I which is always a trepidation for the running for running backs there. But with all that in mind, mean in the transition part, how did you feel about the DK Metcalf contract? He's another one of the wide receivers in this division that yeah. got the big payday he was looking for this offseason. Is that the right move given where they're at? Yeah, so I think this was again like to the point about sort of the philosophical questions you ask about what's right or best for the team. Um, I, you know, I did saw some people arguing, well, if you're going to be t- terrible anyways rip it up and get a ton of picks and i know there was a lot of speculation on draft night i also believe however that this is a team that thinks that next year they can get whether it's a young quarterback in the first round or a free agent or whatever a good quarterback get back into contention and i think along those lines it makes sense to keep your number one wide receiver who's now really the face of the franchise um i think you know, from DK's perspective, it suggests that he's also kind of down with the plan because he could have agitated for a release or a trade rather. And I I suspect, you know, forced his way out of there, but he got a very friendly uh, for him deal. It's only three years, which means he gets to hit free agency or get a new deal very soon. And um, yeah, it just kind of success that they've, it means that they've got some buy-in from him, I say as, sorry, if you hear that scratching noise in the background, that's Cujo, AKA Lenny agitating himself for something which is an early dinner time (laughs) like like any good negotiator he understands that there's always an opportunity for more of what he wants so well actually to stay with dk and him buying in Pete carroll has to be a little bit a part of that because i I don't want to speak for your your fandom but i think there was a camp that was either wilson or Pete carroll and now that we're settling with Pete carroll like how do you feel about the franchise in his hands at this point in time in his career? You know, I've been critical of him and, and John Schneider, the GM at various points. I think more so of Schneider because the drafts have just not been good in Seattle for a pretty long time. And then you look at like the Jamal Adams trade, which I think now most people agree was not a good one for Seattle. So, no. you know, he's had injuries too, but I think it goes beyond that. But um, I'll say this about Pete. Um, one, the players absolutely freaking love him. I don't know if you guys watched the KJ Wright retirement conference uh, press conference. Oh my god, I was like crying on a you know in the morning at ten a.m. Um, but he has that, and then he also has some flexibility. You know, I think we're not really talking about the defense here, but people associate Pete Carroll with that cover three, very static, you know, unchanging system. But they actually did start to change it last year and switched to more split safety looks. And this offseason made a number of changes on that side of the ball, really leaning towards more coaches from the Vic Fangio tree. That's not always easy to do in your late 60s, you know, and especially if you're a defensive coach. So I, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily saying, oh, I'm, I'm glad he's still there. He's the right man for the retool or whatever you want to call it. But I do think um, he's shown a bit of flexibility and also has some talents that are very important as they guide through a pretty difficult season. 
you mentioned that's been changed now going back to last year on both sides of the balls as Shane Waldron got brought in yep. to man that offense. And so a lot of new there, you're right, which I'm sure Russell Wilson's looking at this like, oh, now you change. But <laughs> well, uh, they they, yeah. they tried to bring in that Waldron system and doesn't really work with Russell Wilson, by the way. So also, also I think that, so, that, yeah, that was, by the way, like something I think I got wrong. I said this on my podcast recently. We're talking about Russell Wilson is for so long. I, I do think they ran the ball at times unnecessarily uh too much and i was Mm -hmm. definitely bought into let russ cook but i think one thing i realized about wilson later in his career and i think now i see is um i'm not saying pete carroll was right necessarily but one he is not a good fit for the you know shanahan type offense and and then beyond that though um i do think that play action play action centric run heavy offense actually gelled pretty well with his skill set and the parts of the field that he likes to throw to and, you know, it's, I, I'm not necessarily saying I um, Pete was right about everything or whatever, but I think in retrospect, I kind of see that a bit more clearly. Wow. So if that was, and that's a very big of you, very Mina Kimes, is, is she not merciful? <laughs> with, that, with that being said, so didn't pair well, and you're right, like objectively, anyone who watched saw that that did not work in the way that a lot of us thought it might. With this offense and this year, we talked about the quarterbacks, if not their what is and you know DK Metcalf side? What will be the defined strength of this offense? Will it be that receiver room? Will it be the running back room? What are the, what are they going to have to lean on? Well, partially the receiver room, you got to get the ball to the receivers. So I'll go to the the running back room, which I think is very strong. I think the news with Chris Carson was kind of the writing was kind of on the wall when they drafted Kenneth Walker the second, and I think the pairing of him and Rashad Penny, who when he is healthy, is so good. He is so good when he's healthy. Another pick I hated, by the way, in the first round. Um, I think that's going to be the strength of this team. And, you know, um, I'm going to face a lot of stack boxes. Yeah, no. Enjoy that one, fellas. I I do remember the speaking of draft picks. I remember the Kenneth Walker pick. And I said it would be it would be meme worthy when they selected a running back at that spot yet again. And sure enough, um, God's timing is always perfect, but I, I'm with you. Like they're very good players. That's that's never the mm-hmm. issue. Rashad Penny was a stud in college, as was Kenneth Walker. It's just always value in the way Seattle goes about these things. Obviously, Charles Cross was another early investment for them. So trying to put resources into the offensive line in a way that's always been a criticism uh, of the later Carroll era. But you mentioned all those changes on defense, Mina. Let, let's look over there because you've got. Some of the known names, again, I've said down the spine a couple of times on here, but when you look at the middle of the defensive line with Al Woods and Puna Ford, our sweet low center of gravity king, and then go through Jordan Brooks at the linebacker level, get to Quandre Diggs at safety, Jamal Adams, and what he looks like in this defense now here. How do you see, and let's start with him on the back end, that sort of gelling of Jamal Adams asked to play in a way that's maybe never been asked of him before. Yeah. So I think that's going to be sort of the single biggest factor that determines whether or not this defense is successful. Um, You know, they really struggled at times under Ken Norton Jr., the previous defensive coordinator to figure out how best to use Adams. He came to Seattle. He was, you know, used so much as a blitzer. But then um, I would say last year, less so when they switched to more of a split safety look, um, he got kind of caught in the wash a bit. 
So I think now they have to figure out, okay, if we're asking for more versatility out of our safeties, how much do we want him dropping back in coverage? Do we want to run more dime so that he isn't forced to be put in cover situations where, you know, he, he might not be rangy enough to succeed? Because he's still good. <laughs> he's, he's an exceptionally good tackler. He's obviously got good ball skills. Um, well, I don't think he actually intercepts a lot of balls, but he defends his passes. And um, he is uh, very strong as a blitzer, too, when he's you know, getting given that opportunity. So I think they got to figure out how to optimize him uh, while, you know, dealing with the fact that cornerback is still a question mark on this roster. I think it's actually a little bit less weak than people think. Um, Sidney Jones was decent for them last year. They bring in Artie Burns, who has familiarity with their new pass game coordinator, Sean Desai. And then they've got a bunch of young corners that I think they're excited about. The position that I'd be more worried about is edge, which has been an issue for this team for quite some time, ever since they traded Frank Clark. Uh, they added Chen Inosu, who was last with the Chargers. And oh my God, can you hear that? I, I, I thought Lenny got in at that point in time. I was like, oh, Lenny, Lenny's about to walk up in here. Um, and then they drafted Boye Mafe this year from Minnesota. So I, I think you know, that's probably the biggest issue with this team is who's going to get after the quarterback. Is Jordan Brooks a star? Like, Is he going to be that guy for this defense? I, he, he has really flashed at times. I think he is super fast, super physical, very athletic, got a real nose for the football. I don't know if he's good enough in coverage to be a star, um, but I do think he's a very good football player, and it'll be interesting to see how he holds up without Bobby Wagner. I mean, there's there's a bunch of good football players in the NFL. Right? Like, I, my question is, why is it so bold, hard bold now? True. Yeah, I bold said, what? that was a hell of a take right there. No, but I'm put, saying that's what I'm saying. Put that like on the, the text box for this yeah. episode. There's a bunch of good football players in the NFL. <laughs> there, there are a bunch of good football players, but I don't feel like that. Like needs are being addressed by these teams in the in the draft process. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about mainly why. <laughs> I I see. I miss Lenny. Uh, I, I want to talk. Why is it? Why is it now that linebackers fresh in the league, the rookies that are the the big names coming into the draft, it seems like they're struggling more so now than they ever have in the NFL. It look like it takes them a little bit more time while the people yeah. on the offense are getting a chance to eat in a new way. Well, Lenny Lenny doesn't doesn't Speak, like the speaking pick. of people who want to eat. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I I think it's, it's, they're being asked to do a lot. That would be my take. Um, you know, I remember it's funny now because we're just talking about the Falcons trying and failing to trade Dion Jones, which has been one of the more uh, bummer careers at this point, I guess he looks like a superstar, but when he did emerge back in 2017, there was a sense, Oh, now this is the future of the linebacking position. These young rangy guys, who can cover so much ground, play sideline to sideline. I think Roquan Smith lived up to that. Mm-hmm. But since then, you're right, it has been challenging. And I think it's um, just because there's so much speed on the field offensively um, that if you're going with a more traditional body type at linebacker, um, it, it's 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 hard out there. Collins um, for, for the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I think a, a player like, not to do some Notre Dame suck-upness, but uh, Jeremiah Osu-Koromoa, who was a, a tweener the other right. way, I think has been excellent and was is very much that sort of modern young linebacker you want for Cleveland. Well, now, uh, not to jump to the AFC North, but Kyle Hamilton is getting drugged through because he got oh, broken man. off. It's just... 
Come on, we're not going to bring that up on this podcast. We're not even doing the AFC North. Don't slander that well, man I'm right ju- now. I- I'm just saying. I'm He's just got saying enough problems. He got cooked by a dude wearing 29. Yeah, I was, I mean, we're talking about Notre Dame and stiffness and, and the speed not being able. Like, I'm a little worried as for my number one draft pick for my team. He'll be, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Yeah, he'll be fine. I, I, I would, in part because I, I think that they they do have very good safeties, and he's not going to be put in True. a difficult position there. No, well, Mina Kimes, you are in a difficult position at the end of this podcast, having yes. to deal with the wrath of Lenny and also <laughs> delivering coherent analysis here. Uh, everyone, as always, King. make sure. Yeah, okay. Make sure you check out the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. Make sure you check her out on NFL Live. Watch some Rams preseason. Mina, we'll have to have you back at some point to start to dig into this season of the Bachelorette. We've had two Bachelor. You know, they say if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. I thought for a while we legitimately had two Bachelorettes, but boy, oh boy, this series is getting to a place where, and I still, I'm a week behind you, but this series okay. seems to have started to really bully the women that are at the helm of this. I'm just looking forward to you, to you telling me which of the Bachelorettes is Drew Locke and which one's Geno Smith. Oh, all right. There we go. That's the that's the next podcast. Quarter, which of these S-tier Bachelorettes is Drew Locke or Geno Smith? I'm going to end this before it begins. Thanks so much, Mina. Go feed Lenny, please. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And the, etymo- the etymology of it, the very first one, the you, you, you know that story? What? Of why it's that? Why it's gaslighting? Yeah. No. Basically, it, it kind of goes, it stems back from when to when like men were constantly, like insane asylums were created because men were just tired of their wives and couldn't like kill them. And huh. just like say that this crazy, take her. And gaslighting was a big part of it. Like the very first instance of this was, it was someone's house and they had a barn and they had a, a gas lamp at the top of the barn and the husband would constantly lower the the gas on it and the the light would dim and when the wife brought it up she he was like no it's it's light or it's on, like it's 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 all the way bright or he would be off and on or vice versa and he would just lie and say no the light's on or whatever and that's where the term came from because literally men would be like <laughs> Telling the women, the women in their lives, that they're seeing something that they're not, until they went actually crazy, and then sent them off to a sane asylum and got a chance to fuck around or marry somebody else and start a new family, all that shit. Wow. Um, all right. We'll include all of that in the podcast because that is excellent. 
Um, thank you so much to Mina Kimes for all of that relevant information about the NFC West. But Brandon, as we've been having conversations about where I also realized part of it was we were mixing up phrases we didn't understand the practical use of and the etymology and where they came from. But yes, for mine being gaslighting, what an incredible explanation of what went into that saying, men being manipulative assholes. Go figure. Right, it's a it's a lot of uh, the 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 genesis of a lot of things in America here, <laughs> just yes. or society in general. Men being yes. assholes. Yeah, you know it, it 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 all traces back to a common source here, Brandon. Um, <laughs> common source of joy on this podcast is this, that, and the third. But before we get to that, Brandon, another common source of joy in my life is my knock around sunglasses. Polarized sunglasses that only cost about $30 a pair. I know, probably sounds too good to be true. I used to think that. Then I got a whole bunch of them. (laughs) And I got a whole bunch of them because you can have a ton of different pairs, a lot of different variety. In fact, in the Knockaround Custom Shop, there are over a billion possible combinations of colors, front uh, lenses, logo colors, all these different things that can make the sunglasses of your dreams a reality. Or you can just go and take a look at the selections that they've already made and curated for you. I had a pair so good, my friend Carly literally took them off my face and did not give them back. Technically, she stole from me, but again, because she's a friend and I wanted her to see the joy of the knockarounds, I just let her keep them. So Carly, you're welcome. You don't have to give them back. Because again, I can go get another pair because they're very affordably priced at around $30 a pair. They're awesome, lightweight, they have great clarity. Knockaround sunglasses are high quality, polarized sunglasses at a truly affordable price. Check out their huge range of shades at knockaround.com. All right, Brandon, you know what time it is. Sleep with one eye open, gripping your pillow tight, this and that. And the third, take my hand. It's the standing third game. Yeah, yeah, Damn, it's a metal ass I, I, day around here. It's a metal ass day around here. Yes, yes. And shout out to Adam Amin. Shout out to Adam Amin, former metal of a member of a high school new metal band. Things I found out today. That is called continuity across multiple days, horizontal and vertical teases after we got great lessons on transition from the master herself, Mina Kimes, here. So, Brandon, why don't we make our way to this, that, and the third? And unfortunately, we don't get to start on very good news here. Uh, the college sports world got rocked yesterday as... News coming out of Storrs, Connecticut. Paige Beckers, the all-everything stud for UConn women's basketball, will miss the entire 2022-23 season after suffering a torn ACL on Monday, the school announced on Wednesday. She injured her knee in a pickup basketball game, according to the school's release, and an MRI later confirmed the torn ACL. Uh, 
Brandon, there's no two ways about it. This sucks. Paige Beckers, Paige Buckets, however you've known her, has been one of the absolute biggest stars in college basketball, period, over the last two years. Her freshman season, she was the first freshman to win AP Player of the Year. She was an AP All-American on the first team, Naismith Trophy and Wooden Award winner, Big East Player of the Year and Freshman of the Year, and scored the third most points by a freshman in a single NCAA tournament. 109, only trailing Tamika Catchings and Cheryl Miller. So she's been a revelation in college basketball. She's been the face of the name, image, and likeness movement, and not just the pay-for-play version we talk about in college football. Paige Beckers has had deals from company like companies like StockX and others and has been one of the very marketable faces. We talk all the time, college basketball at times can suffer, especially on the men's side where one and duns are such a proliferation, such a big part of the sport, from not right. having characters around long enough to develop them. Paige Buckets came into UConn already as a known name at a program that we know recruit stars all the time and then lived up to it so quickly that now we've gotten to spend time knowing one of the best basketball players in the sport. And so I think for a lot of people who had seen the show she had put on in the tournament, I got to see it firsthand in the tournament last year when they played or when they uh, were playing around the same time that Notre Dame was. They ultimately lost to South Carolina in the title last year. It, it, she has been an absolute rock star in the sport, and so we're we're all worse for it. We hope she gets uh, a great and healthy recovery. She's got a ton of basketball left in her future, as we all know, but it is going to be a slower and dimmer college basketball season without her. Absolutely. The the one big shining light, obviously, we know uh, South Carolina, you know, they'll they'll do their Don Staley's got our got our team ready. There's there's a bunch of competition in the in the in the the women's tournament right now or in the NCAA uh, women's game right now, but she was just the brightest star. And her words is, is something I want to focus on after this terrible ACL tear. She wrote, it's hard trying to make sense of it all now, but I can't help but think that God is using me as a testimony as how much I can overcome with him by my side. She went on to say, God put a dream in my heart, and even if I have to walk through a nightmare to get to it, I'm going to keep believing. And I, I know a lot of people, you talk about her notoriety, there's a lot of young women, young girls, young ballers watching her and praying for her and rooting for her. And they will be very, very excited to see her back for her senior year at UConn. Um, you know, we obviously no one wanted to see this coming ever, but I'm glad, I'm glad that she has it in her heart and in her mind to, to get back and is, and is uh, inspired to do so uh, more than letting all of the, the negative thoughts take over, which I'm sure she's dealing with as well quietly. Yeah, I, listen, man, rehab for anyone who's been through it. And, and thankfully, I, I never had to go under the knife. I never had anything like that. But I had plenty of roommates, plenty of guys that we played with who had to deal with that. My younger brother dealt with a bunch of that. Rehab and coming back from an injury is a lonely place. You're separate from the team for the majority of your schedule, and it's tough shit. So I'm yeah. I'm glad that she's got the fortitude and the mind frame that seems like she's ready to tackle this. And we all can't wait till we get to see her out in a basketball court again sometime very, very soon. Uh, Brandon, let's get to that. That is more legal action. Because boy, oh boy, if we haven't talked enough about potential lawsuits between governing bodies of sports... Let's throw Live Golf and the PGA Tour in there because hey. on Wednesday, Phil Mickelson, Bryson DeChambeau, and nine other Live Golfers filed an antitrust lawsuit in federal court. 
Now, three of the players are trying to find a temporary restraining order so that they can play in the FedEx Cup playoffs where there's a bunch of money on the line for the pro golfers that get a chance to play. But Brandon, essentially at the heart of this, and what's been at the heart, since you and I talked to Stu Gotts on this show, one of the first times we brought up the Live Golf Tour, was what Stu Gotts said. Ultimately, the success or failure of this is a competitive force next to the PGA is going to come down to the majors. It is going to be what do the four major championships decide to ultimately do. And this lawsuit, one of the uh, one of the accusations is that the live golf players believe that the PGA Tour is essentially colluding with the major championships to try and create an environment that ultimately box them, boxes them out because they know that would prevent them from beyond a certain point signing a lot of the biggest name golfers in professional golf because at the end of the day, like Stugat said, the majors are the only things that matter on the PGA circuit. They're the only thing that defines legacies for a lot of these guys and so... That is what is at the crux of this lawsuit. I saw a lot of stuff that said it's going to be pretty hard to go out there and prove damages in this because these guys all went over there and got paid out of their asses. So I I don't know where this goes and how successful it is, Brandon, but it's the first real bit of retaliation we've seen from the players that left and have really been taking arrows the whole time since. Yeah, this is – I think they have a a good case on their hands to the point – like what they're saying that the PGA Tour is doing is exactly what they're doing. So, yes, that's what's going on. You guys aren't allowed to add the trophy to your mantle and cash out with Live Golf, the the way that everyone's trying to, you know, have their cake and eat it too. Yeah, so the lawsuit alleges they have pressured and encouraged the major organizations to join its boycott and to prevent Live Golf from entering the global golf ecosystem. And we know there was also um, discrepancy at the beginning of this of would they receive points that would go towards the FedEx Cup and other parts of the tour. So, Brandon, it's all there. I, one, don't know how you prove it because this is something you would need. Certain documentation, you'd have to go and probably be able to produce emails. The same way we always talked about how difficult it was for someone like Colin Kaepernick to prove he was being blackballed in the NFL. As much as it felt like we all knew what was going on here, actually proving collusion can at times be a pretty difficult thing to go with. So... This is something to watch. This is something to monitor. This is also maybe, Brandon, for you, as you've talked about what you think the life cycle of Live Golf is going to look like, this is yeah. them sort of admitting that it's going to be difficult if we are barred from the majors and that that could be the thing. Maybe not any end to the bottomless pits of money, but being barred from golf's most important and most hallowed events that could keep that league from growing to a point where it would be worth the time of the Saudi royal family to continue funding. I love I love the territory we're at now because I think we were kind of all waiting on this. Not to compare it to Deshaun Watson, but it seems like we're heading at the the crust of this argument and this and this debate and these two. What did Greg Norman call it? Competition. The PGA Tour is finally getting competition from Live Golf. Yeah, get 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 out of here. This this that's not what this is. Brandon, I need to know something. Did you say crust? Crust. Crust? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I wasn't sure if you said on a day where we talked about not knowing what words mean, I thought that you said crust instead of crux, and I was going to have some questions. We'll have to go oh, back. I, I, I was going to say, the first time I've heard crux is what you just said there, so maybe I did say crust. 
We'll have to go back and review the tape and see if we can add this to the list of words that Brandon is only loosely familiar with. But Brandon, let's get to the crown jewel of today's show. It's all I've wanted to talk about all day. Ever since Aaron Rodgers got that weird tattoo this offseason, and I shouldn't say weird. I don't understand it. It's very well done, and it's prominently displayed. And Aaron Rodgers said when the time comes, he would share more about what went into the deep and meaningful tattoo. Well, Aaron Rodgers may not have done that, but he did go on a podcast with Aubrey Marcus, who's the founder of a supplement company called Onnit. And he went on to talk about his mental health journey and other parts of his offseason, which included opening up about his journey and his time doing ayahuasca. It's a psychoactive tea containing the hallucinogenic drug DMT that helped him towards a path of self-love and discovery during this off-season. Brandon, this kind of always, based on what I heard from a lot of people talking about Deshaun Watson and that tattoo and how it was connected to his girlfriend who had to come out and deny that she was a witch. We talked with Charlotte Wilder about that on this podcast. Ayahuasca was something that I heard batted about as a potential source of this. If you've heard of DMT, I feel like it's probably because of Joe Rogan. I feel like that was like very meme-worthy content for a while. But um, Brandon, Mm -hmm. first off, where are you at on star NFL quarterback experimenting with mind-altering drugs as a headline? Uh, what, 10 out of 10? You know, uh, perfect. This is why I'm here. Uh, the fact that I've done a lot of... Uh, I've done a lot, no. I've done a lot of research on the ego death that comes with the psychedelics that people talk about. Like this, the, the death of the ego. And to think that Aaron Rodgers is loving himself unconditionally for the first time, and therefore he is learning to love those around him, his teammates. Maybe, maybe if he keeps doing MD, uh, well, if he keeps getting high on these on these little hallucinogenics, maybe he can uh, reconcile with his family again. Maybe he can learn how to love the people that brought him into this world. I. I love this weird little version of Aaron Rodgers that we get right now because he is so psychedelic and the fact that he's thinking that the thought that he can be a two-time MVP back-to-back and didn't love himself, Mike, the league's in trouble. Tom Brady might be in trouble. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers might Tom Brady, Tom Brady this season because, you know, That third eye. That third eye is finally open. Man, I feel like a lot of people succeed with self-hate as the the core of the principle, but we can save that as a story for another day. I I have a couple of questions that popped into mind right away. The first, because this isn't the first time, I think during the towards the end of last season, there was talk of him going through the process of Panchakarma, which is essentially like a purge of toxins from the body that includes like okay. an enema, ritual vomiting, or at least it used to, all these things that we were a little like yep. weirded out by. I, I First off, I want to know with this, because it is taking a hallucinogenic, did he have to wait until after the annual drug test in the NFL? 
Because for anyone that's not familiar, you get drug tested one time for street drugs during the season. It is either during the offseason when teams get back for organized team activities in the spring, or it's near the beginning of training camp. And I've always said, like, that's why they call it the idiot test, because after that, you can get as high as you ever loving want once you've passed that one test, as long as you haven't failed one before and are in the system. So to Aaron Rodgers get past that drug test point and now get to openly flaunt that he's doing psychedelics that have, and again, like, there's a ton of, you know, you look in the background of all this stuff it's been very popular uh in south america for a long time it's been part of like traditional healing there and like you said it's like it's all it's all these things that we know about i just want to know did he already get his drug test because i'm assuming that has to be the case because i can't imagine you could test positive for dmt and that's okay in the nfl's eyes yeah no i i can't imagine that either my thing is now i want to see his pupils before every game see if he's not high as shit trying to uh, go against a division rival. Like, I, I, I don't care, but I feel like he's such a process guy, and he's like, ooh, this thing, this thing is, like, getting me closer to the, to the big Lombowski, and I think, I think that's where he wants to be. I wonder if it can be ego death if you're always talking about it. Uh, it or yourself. Just that any, seems- just... <laughs> Because that seems like a part of it. Like, because I don't know, Mike. I, I feel like I can't judge. Like, I need, I think, I don't know, this isn't the same thing, but I, I need a first stint with mushrooms, I think, before I can completely answer this question accurately and from a, a level standpoint and a, a level. Listen, uh, micro, level microdosing mindset. is pretty popular at this point. People out in California are apparently drinking that shit like it's coffee and actually replacing coffee with microdose mushrooms. So the more you know, the yeah. other. I was going to say that I'm not going to well, say that. You know what I'm going to say is all of this just makes me go back to Aaron Rodgers would be such a fun presence in the NFL ecosystem were it not for what we had to go through last fall with him being deceitful about COVID and being mm. a part of what felt like a misinformation campaign that was really, really problematic for everyone in the country and people at large trying to deal with COVID and the pandemic. Cause if you just carved that out, what you've got is a guy that's very different from most of the quarterbacks that we have in the NFL. And that's still there. It's just a lot less fun to support him after all that's happened. And I still want to be able to like appreciate the fact that we have a quarterback that's out here. Like we've had plenty of quarterbacks that have been party boys that have been playboys that have been well-read that have certainly been philosophic in their own right. But like one being public about the use of mind, altering drugs feels pretty special in an era where Tom Brady has been where the quarterback robot has been the defining characteristic of most of our adult life it is Tom Brady it is Peyton Manning it is Eli Manning it is these guys that go about their business Drew Brees football eating robots that go out there that consume the product at the unbelievably highest level and go out there and sling the rock and then we have this guy that's been doing that at that high level that yeah only has one Super Bowl to his name but back to back MVPs and it's just like I'm gonna do drugs and throw up and figure out who I am during the off season. <laughs> I, I I love it. I love it. And I I really do feel like every time he opens his mouth, it's like we're entering a new stage of NFL stardom. Cause he is the quarterback, Mike. Like this is does that make sense? Like if we heard this from Brett Favre, like any of the past people, Peyton Manning, even if he was talking about through rehab, we will be looking at them like they had two heads. Aaron Rodgers has done the work. 
it, it's the it's the Mike Tyson work, right? Is whenever you hear the random thing about Mike Tyson, you're like, oh, that was probably true, because Mike Tyson has done a bunch of random shit. It's also interesting because you mentioned Mike Tyson and the late career turn he's had. Spencer Hall, college football writer and friend of the program, Formula One uh, podcaster for our purposes, said, uh, he tweeted this out about this. It occurs to me that when you're a films in film study and practice that many hours a week during college, that you really missed out on this phase of life. And he's just now catching up on his DMT and reading Jung in a Hot Tub stage of life right now. It is true. In some ways, your development is hastened by being around sports and especially at the yeah. professional level. And in other ways, you are stunted a little bit. And so you're doing all of this on tape delay. The other part of this with Aaron Rodgers, and I know he's technically got a girlfriend though, is as someone who has now been single well into my 30s, this seems to be the thing that you would do when you've got time and money on your hands and then mm. various influences coming in and out of your lives. Because in any relationship, we take a few things from everybody. We hold on to the ones that serve us going forward. But you try out a bunch of stuff. And I feel like this is very much the guy who has been as long-term single or at the very least just like a serial dater as Aaron Rodgers have is you just pick up a lot of shit. And so you tend to live a lot of lives and he just does it very publicly. Yes, very publicly uh, because he is living in the public eye. Obviously, we called him Truman Show. Uh, but that's a very interesting aspect of it, Mike, because it's like there's certain things that you would only try if your significant other is suggesting it. And if you're running around getting a bunch of new hippie significant others around, like you're you're doing a lot of new stuff. Like ayahuasca. Right? Like you there are at the beginning stages of every relationship, you're at that point where you're both still feeling each other out. Like it's the phase where you're afraid to fart or poop in front of that person and you gotta like yes. do it in a Starbucks bathroom when you're out on the road. <laughs> And so during that stage, you're kind of willing to meet people where they are a little bit more because you don't want to show all your cards yet either. And that's the stage where like at the beginning of relationships, like that's how I started doing yoga was for that purposes or watching The Bachelorette, which has become a thing that I held on to longer than that. Like you're willing to try a few more things at the beginning of all this before you settle into your patterns. Aaron Rodgers has never spent a long time in one pattern, so he gets to try a bunch of different things. I love it. And I can't wait who he dates next. It's going to be very exciting times here, Brandon. It's always exciting times when you guys make it all the way through this podcast, which in its own right and in its own way probably feels like you're on DMT. If you enjoyed that trip, download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review and tell us what you saw during the trip. In the meantime, stick with us. We got plenty more NFL divisional previews and other great stuff coming up as we roll along here towards the NFL's regular season. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.